morning. I'm feeling a little tired today. Um, I was sitting back there trying to worship, trying to engage my heart, and I found myself yawning quite a few times. Um, I don't know if anybody else is, is tired this morning, but I, I hope that, that when we leave here, we can be excited about what God is doing. I hope that, uh, that we have a greater passion for the glory of God as we continue in our series in Nehemiah. The wall's going up, it's going forward. And hopefully the work that God has for us to do here at Fairlawn is going forward as well. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to be in the second half, verse 15 through 23. Last week I preached a sermon entitled, Doing the Work of God, Part 1. It's natural that would follow what would follow the following week would be Doing the Work of God, Part 2. And that's where we find ourselves today. And uh, I kind of, as I said before, left you guys on a bit of a cliffhanger. We, we saw opposition coming to the work of God for the first time in uh, the beginning portion of chapter 4 last week. We saw three cycles of opposition and three cycles of responses from Nehemiah and the Jews to that opposition. And it all culminated in this one moment where uh, there was a, a, an enemy attack that was about to take place and, and Nehemiah rises up and, and gives this triumphant battle cry and encourages the people to go to war for the glory of God and for their families. And that is where our text is picking up this morning. Uh, If you really enjoy um, war and climactic scenes like that, you might be a little disappointed this morning because it actually doesn't break out into a war. And we'll see why that is uh, shortly. We took some principles last week and and applied them to the own war that we are in. The war against our sinful desires, our sinful nature, and against the uh, evil enemies, the evil spirits of this present age, as Paul tells us. And this morning, what I think Nehemiah is getting at in the way that the story unfolds and in the way that he writes it, is now he's revealing to us how what is required, rather, to remain faithful in doing the work of God in a warlike atmosphere. I think that's what Nehemiah is trying to communicate. How do we remain faithful in doing the work of God in a warlike atmosphere? If you pull out your bulletin, we're going to look at three different things that I think Nehemiah reveals are required for remaining faithful. The first is that uh, doing the work of God, remaining faithful in the work of God, requires working together. Now when I say that, as you'll see in a moment, I'm not just talking about us coming together and working towards a common goal or end, though that is included. What I'm actually more drawing from the passage is is that we're working for the sake of one another as we pursue Christ. Secondly, we'll see that doing the work of God requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. And lastly, doing the work of God requires trusting in the sovereign God. So let's read the text and then we'll get going. Verse 15 of chapter 4 of the book of Nehemiah. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. 
Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, I pray that as it goes out, that it would change us. That Your Spirit would be here applying the truths of Your Word to our heart. And that we would be ready and willing servants to do the work that You prepared for us to do. I pray this all in Your name. Amen. So the first thing we see is that doing the work of God, remaining faithful in the work of God, requires working together. I'm going to skip over verse 15. We're going to go straight to 16. I'll address verse 15 in the, later, uh, in the third point. So in verse 16, well, what we see, I'll summarize here, is Nehemiah in verse 14 gets up. He does his battle cry, preparing the people for war. And then we see that in verse 15, God frustrates their plan, and they all return to their work. And so from this point on, we begin to see Nehemiah take defensive precautions defensive precautions a war didn't break out there was no attack but nehemiah says i want to be prepared for when the enemy comes back for when they come back and they actually carry out an attack i want to be prepared for that and so in verse 16 what we see is nehemiah and his own men being on the front line of that defensive effort of that defensive precautions that they're taking it's likely that up until this point, Nehemiah and his men were simply taking an advisory role, supervising the work being done. But now that, that's not the case anymore. Now the city just doesn't just need to be built, it actually needs to be defended against the attack of the enemy. And so he says, from that time on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, the bows, the shields, all of this. So Nehemiah revealing his leadership and, and not standing in the back and kind of saying, all right, you guys, go out and take care of this. But he himself on the front line being an example to the people of how they needed to continue the work. Nehemiah also applies these defensive precautions to the people themselves. He arms the people. He says we can't just go around building with both our hands anymore. We have to build with one hand and, and have our hand on our sword have our other hand on our sword prepared to go to battle. And what's interesting here is that Nehemiah isn't taking these defensive precautions for the sake of his own life, as evidenced by him being on the front line. 
Nehemiah and the Jews as a whole are taking these defensive precautions in what I state here as a communal precautions. What I simply mean by that is that the defensive precautions that they were taking were being taken for the sake of each other. They weren't being taken for the sake of the individual as it were, but they were trying to defend the city. They were, they were trying to defend against the enemy's attacks. They were, they were protecting each other. This wasn't something that was done selfishly. And so they were taking communal precautions to the opposition of the enemy. As I, as I began to think about that, I wondered what, what do defensive communal precautions look like in our setting? What does it look like to, for us to take communal precautions against the attack of the enemy here at Fairlawn today? Does it look like getting a real sword and keeping our hand on it? Are you studying the Word of God in community with the body of Christ? You can study the Word of God on your own for your own benefit, which is good and right and you should do. But you should also be working together for the sake of the body of Christ. You should be coming together and communally as a group studying the Word of God together. Are you interceding in prayer for others and allowing others to intercede for you? Are our prayers simply about ourself and our situation and what's going on with us? Or, or are we directing our prayers towards others and seeking to build up their faith? Are you serving the body of Christ? That's naturally selfless. Are you holding others accountable and allowing others to hold you accountable? Are you discipling others and allowing others to disciple you? When we think about these things, I don't think we think about them and in, in th this isn't something that we're doing for our defense, is it? This is just what God has commanded us to do. But you see, when, when, I, when I get together with, with other believers and, and we pray together and we study the Word of God together, we are building each other up in preparation for the opposition of the enemy. I'm built up in a completely different way when I engage in community in these ways than I am when I'm sitting at home by myself studying the Word and praying. The workers were dedicated and committed to taking communal precautions to the opposition of the enemy. Are we dedicated and committed to doing the same here? Not only did they take communal precautions, they also were committed to going to battle for one another, which is the next thing we see in verses 19 through 20. Nehemiah says, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. This is Nehemiah's defensive plan. He's, he's armed the people. He's prepared them for battle. And now he says, this is the plan. The wall is, I mean, it, it's a long distance. And we're not talking about a wall like this here. It, it's really spread out. 
we're all spread out on the wall working in different areas, which makes us extremely vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So this is what's going to happen, Nehemiah says. The trumpeter is standing right beside me because I'm on the front line. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, you come and that's where the battle is going to happen. Rally to us there where you hear the sound of the trumpet. And that's where the war will begin. What I think is interesting about this defensive plan of Nehemiah's is that it required the people to be committed and accountable to that plan. When you're spread out, when you're miles apart, maybe not miles, that might be an exaggeration, but you're pretty far apart, you could pretty easily just be like, well, I hear the sound of the trumpet, but I'm, I'm not going. I don't want to go to war. Imagine what the people were thinking as they went back and worked on their own portions of their wall. When that trumpet blows, I'm going and I'm taking you with me. We're going to help defend the city. We're going to hold each other accountable and be committed to going to war for one another. That's the only way this plan will work. Is if the people are committed and accountable to one another. In other words, if the trumpet blows and you don't show up, people are going to die. And that was the reality in this situation which Nehemiah and the Jews faced. My question is, when are we going to start viewing the church like that? If the trumpet blows and you don't show up, people will die. You see, you have a role to play in the church in building up the body of Christ as each member would have had a role to play in defending the city. And when you don't show up, people miss out. You know, we, we see this type of commitment in uh, army movies, things like that, American Sniper, all of these really, um, really hard to watch actual movies where we see war going down and we see, um, you know, my comrade has fallen down and what do I do? I, I don't just leave them there to die. I, I risk my life to go back and save my fallen comrade. And we see that courage and we see that commitment and, and we honor people greatly for that. We love that our hearts get stirred up when we see that type of action. That type of commitment, that type of accountability. And it's even embedded into some of the creeds of the military forces. The army and the soldiers' creed says, I will never leave a fallen comrade. The Air Force, the Airmen's Creed says, I will never leave an airman behind. But yet when we get to a church setting, that type of courage and commitment and accountability seems to, to vanish. But yet the Apostle Paul, God Himself through the Apostle Paul, gives us the exact same charge that we see here in these military creeds. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When your fellow brother, sister in Christ is down, wounded, injured, struggling, we don't just leave them. We're committed to going to war for one another. We're committed to working together for one another. Let no one caught in sin remain. 
The way that God has prescribed us to get out of that is for a brother and sister to come and restore. Are we there to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ? Doing the work of God faithfully in a warlike environment requires working together for the sake of one another. Taking defensive, communal defensive precautions and being willing to go to war for one another. Being committed and accountable to that. But it also requires sacrifice. Verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. In these verses, we see three different ways in which the people sacrificed in order for the glory of God to be accomplished through the building of the wall. In order to continue faithfully doing the work of God, they had to sacrifice. The first thing we see is that they sacrificed their personal time. Look at the first half of verse 22. And I said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. Now up until the point that they received uh, this opposition from the enemy, we'll remember in chapter 3, and Dwayne preached that, there were Jews that were coming from neighboring cities to help build the wall. And it's very likely that what they would do is rise early in the morning and come and work on the wall. And then at nighttime, they would return home to their families, to their own homes, to their own beds, and that they would rest and that they would come back the next morning and do the same. They needed some of their personal time, right? They needed some time with their families. Nehemiah says we can't afford to do that anymore. He says we all now need to pass the night within Jerusalem. You can't go home anymore. We're not just talking about building the wall. Now we're talking about building the wall and defending the city. You're going to have to sacrifice your personal time. And the workers did. They sacrificed their time with their families in order to accomplish what God had for them to accomplish. The workers also sacrificed their rest. Verse 22, the second half of verse 22. So pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and labor by day. Before, all they had to do was come and build the wall during the day which I'm sure was a sacrifice, but now that there's the presence of an enemy, they also not only have to work by day, but they have to guard the city by night. Now this doesn't mean that they, they, they never slept. It's likely that they were on some type of shifts and rotations. But nevertheless, they had to sacrifice more of their time, more of their rest, in order to guard the city by night. And accomplish God's will. Thirdly, the workers sacrifice their comfort. We see this in verse 23. Nehemiah says, So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who follow me, none of us took off our clothes. 
Each kept his weapon at his right hand. What's he talking about? That sounds kind of weird. None of us took off our clothes. Well, you know how when you get home and uh, probably, I mean, for, for a lot of us, we're doing manual labor outside. I was outside all day yesterday or in my sweaty house and just grubby as all get out. Steve, beast mode Steve, helped me take out my countertops, which were a pain, I'll tell you what. Um, but nevertheless, we were both like sweaty and tired by the end of the day. And uh, I go home and I want to take a shower. I want to cool off. And when it's time to go to bed, um, it's really hot in my house. So I'm sitting in front of a fan. You know, I got my shirt off or whatever. And I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm comfortable. And Nehemiah says, look, we can't afford to do that anymore. Because of the situation we're in, we can't afford to take off our war clothes. We can't afford to get comfortable. None of us took off our clothes. We remained ready for war. As we went to bed, we had our sword at our side and we remained in our clothes so that if that trumpet blew, we would be there. The workers sacrificed their comfort. They sacrificed their physical comfort in going to bed in their war clothes and they also sacrificed their mental comfort. Think about what it would have required for them to sleep knowing that at any moment that trumpet could go off and they were required to be at the place where the trumpet was called. Could you even sleep at all? The workers were willingly sacrificing their time, their rest, and their comfort for the glory of God. So what does sacrifice look like for us? You know, we're not in a, a physical type of war like these people were. They, they were forced into making a decision to either sacrifice or not. Now, they had that decision to make, but they were forced into the situation to make it. In the world in which we live, we're not forced to do a whole lot. Which means that we must be extremely intentional about the sacrifices that we make. And it should actually lead us to sacrifice more because we're free to sacrifice more. So what does this sacrifice look like for us? In terms of time, you know, my schedule is jam-packed right now, but I think community groups are a beautiful way to display the glory of God and to take communal precautions against the attack of the enemy. So I'm going to give, some, give up some of my personal time to participate in those. I'm going to sacrifice something. Or in terms of our rest, what does sacrifice look like in terms of our rest? Uh, a couple years ago, a good friend of mine came to me and, and said that he was struggling um, with lust and with pornography and he wanted me to hold him accountable for that. He said, hold me accountable, I need your help. So I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. I said, when you feel temptation coming, it doesn't matter what time of the day it is, it doesn't matter what time of the night it is, I need you to pick up the phone and call me. I'll have my phone ready beside my nightstand. I need you to pick up the phone and call me. You know, if you need to come over, it doesn't matter what time of the day, what time of the night, you can sleep at my place. And we've been battling together for years. And there's been times when he called me in the middle of the night. And I had to sacrifice my rest in order to be there for my brother. In order to battle with him. In terms of our comfort, 
You know, it's super uncomfortable to talk to people on a spiritual level, but it greatly reveals the glory of God to, to spur one another on to love and good works. And so I'm going to intentionally pursue those conversations, sacrificing my comfort in doing so. Parents, are we modeling what it looks like to sacrifice for the glory of God to our children? Dad, why didn't you go out fishing this Sunday? You go out fishing every Sunday. Why didn't you go out? Well, son, God has been teaching me that investing in the church is more important than fishing. So I'm going to sacrifice that. I'm going to give it up so that I can invest in the body of Christ. Are we teaching our children how to sacrifice for the glory of God? Are we teaching our children that their academic and athletic achievements are going to burn on the altar of eternal insignificance if they are not used for the glory of God? In this regard, I think that we sometimes trick ourselves. I think we say, we're teaching our children to use their sports to glorify God, their sports platform to do that, which I think is awesome, is good, is right, and you should do it. You should do that. It's not easy, but you should do it. But I think in doing this, we often ignore the call of God to sacrifice those things for Him. Because He calls us to do both. At times, He calls us to sacrifice that platform. Not to use it, but to sacrifice it. To give it up. Yeah, I'm not going to play games on Sundays. Doesn't matter if I get in trouble for it. Doesn't matter if I have to run more suicides. It doesn't matter if I get playing time taken away. I care more about Jesus and His body than I do this sport. So I'm going to sacrifice that. And the thing about sacrifice is really interesting is that the things that we sacrifice for reveal where our heart is. The things that we sacrifice for reveal what we find valuable. Consider what J.C. Ryle says. There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice. Which costs nothing and is worth nothing. Now the question that we have to ask ourselves in relation to that is that the sacrifices that we're making on a daily basis what do those sacrifices reveal about the worth of our faith? Sacrifice speaks the most loudly to the watching world. And they begin to see what we value and what our faith is truly worth. Faithfully doing the work of God in a warlike atmosphere requires working together for the sake of one another and it requires sacrifice. And it also requires trusting in the sovereign God. And I want to look at this in a couple different ways. The first is I want to, I want to kind of survey um, the two different Nehemiahs that we see. And then I want to see how Nehemiah in his writing and how the story unfolds reveals that God is worthy to be trusted. Consider this with me. Flip over a page to chapter 2, verse 2. Nehemiah is standing before the king in this scene 
and uh, he's getting prepared to ask him for everything he'll need to rebuild the city. Look at what is said here. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid, says Nehemiah. Flip back two pages, uh, forward two pages to chapter 4, verse 14. Nehemiah is standing now in front of a potential enemy attack in front of the men of Jerusalem. And this is what he says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What? And I was greatly afraid. 4.14 Do not be afraid of them. That's two different people. So my question is, what happened between 2.2 and 4.14 in the life of Nehemiah? Well, there was a lot of time there. That's, that's something that's sure. If we had time to survey all the texts, I could, I could show you this a little more clearly. Originally, I had like 12 texts showing this. Um, but we're going to stick to chapter 4. What changed in the life of Nehemiah is that he grew in his trust of the sovereign God. That's what changed. That's what made the difference between I'm very afraid to do not be afraid. Let's look at this in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 5. Nehemiah is praying his prayer of vindication for the glory of God. We saw that last week. And he's praying and crying out to God for vind- to vindicate His holy name, understanding and knowing that God is fully able to do so. Trusting that He will vindicate His name and that Nehemiah doesn't have to take up a sword and tear down his enemies by himself. God will take care of it. He is in control. Chapter 4, verse 9. The workers pray for God's protection. You don't pray to God for protection, at least sincerely, unless you actually believe He's able to protect you. They understood that God was able. He was in control. Chapter 4, verse 10. The workers acknowledge that they cannot do the work without God's help. There's too much rubble. There's too much opposition. We can't do it on our own. We need God. Yet again, you don't cry out to Him if you don't know that He's able to do it. They trusted in the sovereign God. They understood that He was in control. Nehemiah 4.14 in Nehemiah's battle cry, he reveals that God is the Almighty One. This is why you go to war, because of the God that you are fighting for. Fear God, not man. And the transition we have before, uh, in between verse 14 where Nehemiah gives his battle cry and verse 15 is very telling. War didn't break out. Why? Because it's not what God wanted. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
Nehemiah revealing that God is worthy to be trusted because God is in control of what's going on here. And lastly, Nehemiah looking to God's provision in the future. Verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Confident that God is going to complete His will in the lives of the people. The growth of Nehemiah and his intentional penmanship directs our eyes off of Nehemiah and off of his leadership and reveal to us that God is in control and he is worthy to be trusted. So how does trusting in the sovereign God connect with working together for one another and sacrifice? How are those connected? I believe that that we do not work together. We do not commit ourselves to one another. We do not work for the sake of one another. And we often don't sacrifice like we ought to because we don't trust God. We don't see Him as big enough We don't understand His power. We don't understand His control. And so we're not willing to sacrifice because we're not sure if our sacrifice will be in vain. We're not willing to work together for the sake of one another because when, when we're not sure what the outcome will be, our time becomes more important to us. What empowered Nehemiah to sacrifice in order to build the wall was that he trusted that God would accomplish his purpose. And that made the sacrifice worth it. When you are sacrificing for the glory of God, it's never in vain. What motivated the Jews to work together on the wall in the first place? They trusted that God would make them prosper. Nehemiah came and began to gather the people and said, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then he told his story about what happened with the king and how God worked there. It spurred the people's hearts on understanding that, look, if God is here and this is His will for us to do this, nobody's going to stop us. All of the effort, all of the time, all of the sacrifice will be worth it. And so trusting in the sovereign God is what motivates us to sacrifice. It's what motivates us to work for the sake of one another. Understanding that our work is not in vain. Doing the work of God requires working together for the sake of one another. Being committed to going to war together. Doing the work of God requires sacrifice. And doing the work of God requires trusting in the sovereign God. Fairlawn Mennonite Church is doing a work for the glory of God. We exist to glorify God by equipping believers to advance the gospel. That's the work that we're doing here. This work must be done together. It must be done together. Are you studying the Word of God in community with the body of Christ? It just so happens that that's the primary purpose of our ABFs. In the middle hour, we get together in small groups and we communally study the Word of God together, strengthening each other's faith. 
Are you interceding in prayer for others and allowing others to intercede for you? That just so happens to be the primary purpose of our community groups. We gather together in, in homes and in family units and we live life together. We, we go to war with one another. We take each other to the throne of God in prayer. Are you serving the body of Christ? We have ministry teams that this church really, that, that's really the foundation is that we need these ministry teams and you can become involved in them and you can help serve and build up the body of Christ. Are you holding others accountable and allowing others to hold you accountable? We have church membership. I need that because I don't trust myself. I need accountability because I'm afraid that when the trumpet blows, I'm going to shrink back. I need people to hold me accountable and say, when that trumpet blows, I'm going and you're coming with me. Are you discipling others and allowing others to disciple you? This happens in multiple ministries here at Fairlawn. Are you involved in the ministry of advancing the gospel through community opportunities or worldwide trips? We have the opportunity to serve in the summer reading program at Glenridge and, and many other things. We have the opportunity to, to share the gospel there. We have the opportunity to go to Kenya and we have the opportunity to go to Montana and Ecuador to advance the gospel. Are you advancing the gospel in your workplace? Are you advancing the gospel in your families? All of this work that must be done together here at Fairlawn requires sacrifice. Doing these things require that you sacrifice your personal time. Doing these things require that you sacrifice your rest. Doing these things require that you sacrifice your comfort. This is the beauty of the bigness of God. Is that we know that when we sacrifice for His glory... It's not in vain. It's not in vain. And so we must trust in the sovereign God first and foremost. And that is the foundation by which we find the strength to sacrifice and to work together for one another for the glory of God. Pray with me. Father, thank You Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for revealing to us what is required of us if we're to do the work of God faithfully. Lord, give us a heart and a passion to work together, to have a mindset of, I'm not going to leave my brother behind. Lord, give us a desire that, that is willing to sacrifice for Your work and that greatly reveals Your glory and how much we prize what You've given us. Lord, give us the strength and give us the grace to trust You in all of these things. And that Your will would be accomplished as we seek to faithfully serve You. Pray this all in Your name, Lord Jesus. 
Amen.